kind of magic. Getting to speak to someone in a different language feels magical. I don't know if you still feel that way. Yeah, I still feel that way. I love it. Welcome to the From Quarantine podcast, a daily dose of dry humor from two Americans living in the heart of Europe, hosted by January Newbanks and Tassie Gibson. So what's your number two? My number two is a poem that makes me think of my daughter. Um, And moving to the Czech Republic, the Czech language, as we have already mentioned, is very difficult. And she has struggled, you know, just like any kid would, to learn the language, to socialize in the language, to be educated in the language, Um, She started off in a bilingual school, but we quickly realized that there just wasn't enough Czech exposure for her to become fluent. And we don't really have any plans of leaving. We don't know how long we'll be here, depending on what the government says about our uh, visas and stuff like that. But, Mm -hmm. But we love it here and love living in the center of Europe, traveling around um, different parts of Europe has, is so accessible and I I have really appreciate the Czechs and I love I just love living here and it, it it's tough sometimes because you know so social circles are a little bit more closed than American social circles it's a little bit more difficult to make like real connections with people but mm-hmm. you have to be patient and it takes time and it's made me really appreciate it when I have a Czech friend who does let me in and we become mm-hmm. close friends. So um, this next poem is about, is by Ruby Kaur. So Ruby Kaur is a poet who is from an immigrant family. They immigrated from India to Canada. And I love what she has to say about being bilingual and having an accent. And the poem is called Accent. My voice is the offspring of two countries colliding. What is there to be ashamed of if English and my mother tongue made love? My voice is her father's words and mother's accent. What does it matter if my mouth carries two worlds? And I really loved that last stanza because of stanza, but that last line because, um, I do think like when you start to really learn another language, like in depth, my university experience was completely different because I wasn't immersed in the culture as well. But Mm -hmm. when you start to really learn a language, you, you realize just from the way things are phrased or put together or idioms or, you know, popular ways of saying things or Mm. differences in the way you say things, you say things, you start to understand the culture yeah, um, there's a famous quote from, I think, from Charlemagne that said, to speak two languages is to have two souls. Mm-hmm. And it's true. It really, like, you start to kind of have these two worlds inside of you, and it they mm-hmm. both feel very different, but at the same time, they are still contained inside of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of magic. Getting to okay. speak to someone in a different language feels magical. I don't know if you still feel that way. Yeah, I still feel that way. I love it. Yeah. 
yeah, because like as you start to understand more, you know, I get emails from shops with shipping directions and things like that. And I'm like, I understand those words. <laughs> or, you know, you notice something, a poster or something, and you can read it all for the very first time. And it feels like magic. And also mm-hmm. just listening to people who can switch back and forth between languages um, quickly, efficiently, and express themselves uh, I don't know if it's equally well, but at least adequately in both languages feels like you're in the presence of magic for sure. Like mm-hmm. it's amazing to me. And maybe that's because I'm an American. <laughs> and so, you know, we didn't grow up with the opportunity to really learn another language until the age of like 14, 16. So by that point, your brain is already you know, formed in a way that it's difficult for you to really take on board that language. So, um, so yeah, I, for my daughter, I really appreciate this poem because I feel, I feel that for her, like she definitely identifies as American, but, you know, as we talked about with Carrie, like as she grows and as she grows up, she will probably identify more and more with Mm -hmm. Czech because she's, being educated with checks and right. her friends are check. So yeah, I really loved that poem. It's beautiful. I like it so much. <laughs> so what's your next poem? So my next poem is actually a little bit lighter. Um, it's by Shel Silverstein, which um, I think Shel Silverstein was the first poet that I took on as my own. I told you my mom loves poetry. Um, but yes. I got this Where the Sidewalk Ends as um, a gift from a book fair or something. Like, definitely it wasn't oh, from my mother. Book fairs. I, I loved know. book I loved. fairs. Oh, because my mom actually didn't like Shel Silverstein. This poem will show you why (laughs) Um, because although he's a children's author he um speaks to kids in a very tongue-in-cheek uh sometimes a bit sarcastic but Mm -hmm. in a very mature way and I um I think as a kid I really loved his play with language surprise Mm -hmm. surprise surprise Um, (laughs) And actually, this poem I read once a month because I give it to my teachers in training in the TEFL program um, because it is a good poem to show authentic use of modal verbs. Um, Mm -hmm. So we talk a lot about when we do teacher training using authentic material to illustrate grammar points. So I give them this poem to let them see how you can find authentic material that illustrates grammar points. Um, and also cause it's just, it cracks me up a little. <laughs> so it's called little Abigail and the beautiful pony. There was a girl named Abigail who was taking a drive through the country with her parents when she spied a beautiful, sad eyed gray and white pony. And next to it was a sign that said for sale cheap. Oh, said Abigail, may I have that pony? May I please? And her parents said, no, you may not. And Abigail said, but I must have that pony. And her parents said, well, you can't have that pony, but you can have a nice butter pecan ice cream cone when we get home. And Abigail said, I don't want a butter pecan ice cream cone. I want that pony. I must have that pony. And her parents said, 
be quiet and stop nagging. You're not going to get that pony. And Abigail began to cry and said, if I don't get that pony, I'll die. And her parents said, you won't die. No child has ever died yet from not getting a pony. And Abigail felt so bad that when they got home, she went to bed and she couldn't eat and she couldn't sleep and her heart was broken and she did die all because of a pony that her parents wouldn't buy. This is a good story to read to your folks when they won't buy you something you want. (laughs) I love that. I'm going to have to read that to to Lucy. She is going to love that. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yes. I think I was that kid growing up. I was that like melodramatic, like I will die. My father can probably confirm that for you. (laughs) (laughs) I think that that's what I loved about, and I still love about Shel Silverstein poetry, is because I wasn't that kid, but I identified with that strong will. Um, Yes. And so I loved, because his poems are all a bit tongue-in-cheek, and I loved reading those and being like, oh, Abigail, you you got him! (laughs) (laughs) it's like uh you you have the sense of schadenfreude but at the same time (laughs) at the same time she's dead so it doesn't really matter (laughs) I really love the parentheses at the bottom because when I was looking for this poem the first time I realized that a lot of people who reprint it they don't put that little parentheses at the bottom and the funny part of the poem is that he (laughs) is that he's writing it to get you to get what you want um so so, yeah (laughs) (laughs) I loved Shel Silverstein I thought his stuff was great I remember there was like homework oh homework I hate you you stink I'd like to wash you away in the sink I think I memorized that poem in third grade. (laughs) I know. He just, I, you know, I think that anytime you can get children, especially children, um, to love the written word, then you should do that in any way possible. When people say Mm -hmm. kids shouldn't be reading this or is this good? Um, I think that if you can get kids to read what written word, I don't see um there being a problem if it's a bit sarcastic or if it's a bit funny or I know that David Walliams you guys read some of David yes, Walliams books Lucy but yeah he he plays with like a little bit toilet humor and body humor mm-hmm. um and I think yeah. that that's what develops into a love of written language as an adult and you're not going to continue to read those books you're then going to get into reading um other or reading anything but yeah. the moral of the story, make your kids read. <laughs> yeah, make them read. Yeah, I do think that's true. Like, read to them until they just love it so much that they start to read it to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny you should mention the David Williams because you up until this point, we've kind of, you know, Lucy's learning two languages. So some of her reading can can fall behind sometimes because she's pronouncing words with Czech uh, phonetics and mm-hmm. or English words with yeah English words with Czech phonetics or Czech 
Czech words with English English spelling. So things can kind of get a little confusing for a while. And all the all the advice that I've ever received is like just let it kind of work itself out. Like mm-hmm. it'll it'll all make sense. It'll all separate, and she'll start to like kind of be able to crack the codes right. in each of those languages as you go on. But I mean, you know this, you're a linguist, so. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But um but yeah, so she she um she's a little she's not behind in in grade wise. I think like she's kind of reading at like maybe a fourth grade level and she's in second mm-hmm. grade. But um big books, because she has a problem breaking things down, um, mm-hmm. big thick books and David Williams books are like giant gigantic thick because there's a lot of um illustration and Mm-hmm. giant words blowing up and everything but the about a month or two ago she was frustrated with us because we weren't waking up in time like for her to get up she was waking up at like five o'clock in the morning and we Jeez. were like um no <laughs> you stay in your room until at least six thirty, okay Good so plan. she was waking up early yeah and she picked up Fing by David Williams and she just started reading it because it was a gift from someone for her birthday party that she got at her birthday party. Mm-hmm. And she just started reading it and, you know, she was able to read the whole book by herself. And I was like, oh, it's happening. It's coming together. <laughs> like she's able to like to break things down now and she's able to be like, I can do this. I can take this on. It's such a good feeling to watch her kids yeah, like wonderful. start to love books and words especially since I love books and words so mm-hmm. much so yeah yeah I should have you do a Skype call with her Tassie where you read her a poem every day <gasps> I would love to do that let's make that happen yes Excellent. I think she would love it too because you I'll have like such... her shell Silverstein yes <laughs> I think she would absolutely adore that um yeah yeah that would be fun let's do that <laughs> awesome. so my last Last, yeah. So my last poem is um, by a poet that I actually know, and Tassie knows by like second degree. Um, our friend Scott Manning, um, his wife Dawn Manning. I know knew her before she was his wife because I sat next to her and we worked together. She was kind of my desk buddy, and she's this amazing human just so luminous Mm -hmm. she participated in a series called poets reading the news and it was in 2019 i think around may um where and it has a check connection this news story um so i thought that it would be fun because both one we know her and two there's a check connection um there was an article which i will link to in the show notes about an ossuary that is about 45 minutes by to an hour train ride outside of mm-hmm. Prague, the Sedlec ossuary, uh, as people call it colloquially, the bone church. Um, <laughs> and in its crypt, um, there are the bones of thousands of people. I think they estimate it as 30 to 60,000 people. Yeah. Um, mostly plague victims or victims of the war that was happening what war was that uh the 30 year war i believe 30 years war Mm -hmm. so um there were just too many bodies and so they all kind of got dumped together and 
there was a monk who kind of cleaned them up and in the basement of this church chapel cathed- it's mm-hmm. not a cathedral no it's very small mm-hmm. um anyway he um he cleaned all the bones and he stocked them in this like artistic way and then a couple hundred years later another man who was a woodcarver um turned the bones into things like chandeliers and mm-hmm. altars and uh there's a what's that called with the the big thing that people crest there's there's a crest um that's made out of bones that's just really beautiful and mm-hmm. if you ever get the chance to go it's amazing but if you are not going to be able to go because nobody's going to be able to fly into our country for a while. (laughs) You can take a VR tour and um, I will link to that as well. And it's linked through from her poem. But anyway, her name is Dawn Manning. uh, And this was her poetry about the news that they were going to be cleaning the bones and making 3D uh, maps of the bones and then restocking them. And they were doing it in a way that they were conserving it in lime. So each bone was going right. to be clean. Because it's deteriorating and, if you've been yeah. there in the last couple of yeah, years. Yeah, it's deteriorating. Mm-hmm. And I think they've been saying they were, they were going to do this forever. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so they finally started that process. And recently they've actually outlawed selfies. Um, yes thank the good good i know because it's kind of disrespectful (laughs) when you're like i know when you're talking about actually the the uh, monk has one of my very favorite lines and i don't know if it's just attributed to him or if it was actually written somewhere but it's on the um paper that you get when you go in and it says as we are so you shall be and i think that Mm -hmm. that's really comforting in kind of the way that we were talking about the first poem, like that life is a cycle. And like, it's, I think it's important for us to remember that we're part of the circle of life Yeah, <laughs> to borrow some Disney ish. Uh, <laughs> but, but to remember that, like, I think so often we imagine that we are isolated in this one moment or in this one place, but yeah. it's, it's a circle. Mm-hmm. It is. And yeah, it's, um, yeah, just being there in the presence of those bones, like it's, it's awe inspiring. So anyway, here is her poem, uh, from that news story. We're such amateurs. Our closet's never big enough for our skeletons, a femur under the couch, phalanges tossed in the junk drawer with doorless keys old batteries, medical wristbands from miscarriages. But in the countryside near Prague, their bone house merits world heritage renown. So a year into our marriage, just days after 9-11, we take the early train to the pyramids of bones to see how the experts do it. The checks discern our weary gait as their iron curtain trained in living with terror. The echo beneath our American accents proof of a loss of density. They refuse to charge the entry fee. We're disturbed with the vaulted Jenga of 40,000 bodies heaped by the plague in a holy war. Then glossed through the braille of a half-blind Cistercian monk into squat pyramids. 
We're awed by centuries of cross-boned skulls strung into garlands, cobwebbing walls and ceilings, petals of sacrum and ilium budding into the orchids from the unit chandelier. The coat of arms, the two large chalices that could cradle infants in their wide blooming mouths, but every ossuary needs maintenance, specialists in preservation, damage repair. All these years later, we're still looking to experts, jotting down notes on what it takes to care for bones, how to clean them with soft brushes and lime, place them in less fragile holes than their human configuration. In the countryside near Prague, they're dismantling and rebuilding a church of bones, aided by computer models and video maps. We're assured that the bright skeletons will be restored and remain accessible, that not one ossicle will rest in the wrong place. And Dawn, her book, Postcards from the Dead Letter Office, is amazing. And I just thought this was such a cool connection. Like, we've got a plague connection we have the check connection and then we have the fact that we know her and yeah love her um so so yeah i thought that poem was kind of cool what do you think tassie you know a lot about the bone church um i like sorry i like the interpretation um and how she kind of puts the the skeletons in our closet, so to say, into Mm -hmm. the skeletons of this church and then wraps the history around it and the idea of um, that maybe our, at least my interpretation, maybe our skeletons also we can take out and polish from time to time and put them Mm -hmm. back. And um, Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I love the whole idea of poets reading the news, like that you read the headline or not just the headlines but you read the story through poetry rather than mm-hmm. just like a small they're gonna take the bones out and clean them with lime and 3d map them and put them back um because it, it really is a very special place and um i'm happy that they're preserving it so that it can be there for generations to come because it's amazing yeah so, and you have one more poem for us, My right? last poem is a classic classic by Robert Frost. Mm. I'm going to read The Road Not Taken, but I'm going to start by telling you that it is not what it appears to be. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of these party facts that I feel like really obnoxious people pull out. <laughs> I'm going to be that person. <laughs> um, so what is interesting about this poem is that Robert Frost actually wrote it as a bit of a poke at one of his friends who was a very indecisive human. Um, I don't remember the guy's name. His last name was Thomas, but I don't remember his first name. Um, And they would go walking together in the woods. And this would have been like just before the U.S. um, entered World War I. Um, And whenever he would go walking with his friend, and I think this friend's life in general, he was just a very indecisive human. So um, Frost actually wrote this as kind of a dig at this guy. (laughs) Like, you can't even make a decision which road to take. Um, And then he read it 
um, out loud to, I think, a group of university students. You can actually check the poetryfoundation.org. They have this um, story in its entirety there. Um, but I think he read it to a group of university students, and they really took it in the way that I think most people interpret it now of this very like deep contemplation of how you make decisions in life and where you go. And Robert Frost was like, uh, wait, no, I was laughing during it. Didn't you hear that it's like a bit funny? And um, he sent it to his friend who was actually getting ready to go off to World War One, And he originally interpreted it as most people do now and was like, oh, thanks, Robert. And he was like, no, I'm, I'm making fun of you, dude. Um, and the guy was like, what? Don't be a jerk. Um, so I, I think that that's interesting. And it's maybe one of the best things about poetry that you are able to interpret it how you want. It doesn't have to be the author's version or your version. But um, it is funny after you know that story and then you read the poem because you're like, huh, Robert Frost, you're an interesting man. <laughs> Oh, that's the great backstory that, to this like yeah, poem I, that we've all like been inspired by through high schools <laughs> I know I it it kind of reminds me this is also a little rabbit trail but it kind of reminds me of Shakespeare you and I have talked about this I love mm. watching Shakespeare performed because you get to see how raunchy and just rebellious and sarcastic he is um, and mm-hmm. none of that comes across in high school literature classes where you're just like, um, mm-hmm. and I think there's something about knowing the backstory and hear it. And then once you hear that or you see it or you know it, then you interpret it completely differently. It's true. Mm-hmm. So the road not taken by Robert Frost, two roads diverged in a yellow wood and sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trod in black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. (laughs) So funny to know the backstory of that. (laughs) I know. And, And like, I just imagine this. I don't know how old he was at the time, but let's say in his late 20s, early 30s, just kind of giggling along like, oh, my silly friend can't even make a decision writing this poem. Um, Mm -hmm. And but then if you read it, I can imagine the university students being like, that's so true. I took the one less traveled and here I'm living this amazing life. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's so awesome. Yeah. I'm sure we're like, that's like blowing my mind that, uh, <laughs> that I was sarcastic and all this, all this time that I thought it was serious. <laughs> um, this was great. I'm so glad that we did this. I yeah. 
loved being able to go through some of my favorite poems. It was really hard to narrow it down. I had, I yeah. think, about last night trying to pick which ones. So um, thanks mm-hmm. for the opportunity to delve into literature a bit. Absolutely. I think right now it's really fun. I mean, find some poems for your kids. Um, find some poems for yourself. Hang them on the walls. Do lettering projects with them. Uh, allow words to kind of help you heal. I think it's important. And I'm not telling you what to do, but, you know, those are just suggestions. <laughs> I agree. So I'll leave you with the last uh, Shel Silverstein. It's a poem, but it's actually more of a quote. So my mm-hmm. moment of calm is. Listen to the mustn'ts, child. Listen to the don'ts. Listen to the shouldn'ts, the impossibles, the won'ts. Listen to the never-haves, then listen closely to me. Anything can happen, child. Anything can be. I love that one. Me too. And Mm. I, see, I just love his play with language and his encouragement. Oh, Shel Silverstein. (laughs) Such a little rebel. I know. I think my my inner rebel just really resonates with him. <laughs> I agree. Well, enjoy the rest of your day, Miss January. Thank you. And um, I feel energized and ready to go do some stuff. Thanks for the yeah, chat. Yeah, of course. I feel energized too. I think just spending some time amongst beautiful words is really, I don't know, calming and exciting at the same time. So thank you for sharing your poems with us. And for all of our listeners, we will be posting um, podcasts every day from now on, I hope. And mm-hmm. <laughs> dofam, as they say here, mm-hmm. um, you know, barring any like disasters with technology or anything like that. But uh, well, we're almost at 30. The goal is 30. I know. So. I know. Coming we're up. like sneaking up on it. So like we mm-hmm. only have a few more daily episodes and actually like we can talk just a tiny bit Tassie um about our plans past those 30 days um so we're our plan is to transition into a weekly podcast so yeah um, we would love some input if you guys are listening out there and you have ideas let us know Mm -hmm. um what you'd like to hear if you just want to hear us chatting if you want to hear more uh of our research based <laughs> podcast. Yes. Um yeah, give us some feedback. Yeah, we'd like to hear from you. I think so far our most popular episode is soap. <laughs> yes. It's my favorite one too. I love the soap. Soap one. is the real MVP. I know. Yep. Which is funny because I think it's the one we recorded in the shortest amount of time. And so yeah. it was like much more concise. So maybe people like us better when we don't go off on these crazy (laughs) rabbit trails but um but this has been kind of our diary um of the last 30 days and the things that we're thinking about well not of the last 30 days but of the last like 23 days um of what we're thinking about what we're what how we're reacting to the world around us so um so yeah so I think as we move forward we're going to to, you know kind of brain storm how we can make this a weekly podcast because we both have really enjoyed it so mm-hmm. yeah if you have any feedback please let us know and otherwise we will talk to you tomorrow 
Yes, see you tomorrow. Bye. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. <laughs> Nasquadano. <laughs>